Hey there, podcast fans. I'm here with your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hello there, Mom. Hi, Andrew. I always love when we get to talk and share and see each other on Zoom. <laughs> Me too. Um, I know that normally we we both have a lot of just inherent enthusiasm when we start these start these chats. Um, I know it's a unique time right now. How are you doing? Well, I'm having a tough time a little bit because of ah, the shootings that are happening at schools and just a tough times because teachers are reaching out and administrators are not sure what to do and families are struggling and wow, it's been tough. Uh, I know that the conversation that we're about to share with the audience is really relevant. And I also know it's unique because the conversation you had was uh, before the most recent shooting. And so there's a, there's a bit of time relevance about that. Can you tell us a little bit about the conversation? Well, Dr. Sheldon Akins is amazing. And we've known each other a long time. And I was so excited to talk to him because he runs Leading Equity. He shares so much uh, with me about what do we do when we when we have um, problems with communication? How do we amplify the voices of everyone? And how do we talk about implicit bias? And I'm thinking, oh, how how perfect timing now for this. Our conversation was really powerful. And I, I told Sheldon, I, I'm so grateful that he gave me that time, but it was on the day of the, that shooting on, uh, and I knew that we weren't going to be putting this out right away. The latest shooting. I don't, I'm praying there's no more, but you know, um, so anyway, you can tell I'm pretty emotional about it. And Sheldon is just, uh, it just what we need to hear. I hope everybody listens to our conversation. It's a good time to be angry right now. It's a good time to share our anger. And it's also, I think this is an opportunity to 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 listen to some compassionate a compassionate conversation that can lead to some some productivity and some heart enrichment as well. Mm-hmm. So with that, folks. Take a listen to the conversation with Barbara Bray and Dr. Sheldon Akins. Hi, everyone. I'm Barbara. I'm so excited to be here with Dr. Sheldon Akins. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for having me. This is, I can't believe I haven't been, like, we haven't done this before. It's, this, is, this is, like, crazy that we're just now doing an interview. I know. It's, well, I've been following you forever, and I know we've touched base, but what happened? We had to do this. This is so great. Yes, I'm also a fan of yours as well. So, yeah, I'm glad we're making this happen. Oh, Sheldon, you're amazing. But let me just kind of introduce you to my audience. I'm just going to boast a little. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. All right. Dr. Sheldon Eakins is the founder of the Leading Equity Center and host of the Leading Equity podcast, which I listen to all the time and I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, I'm just going to do that a little bit. Uh, you're also the author of a new book coming out we're going to talk about. It's called Leading Equity, Becoming an Advocate for All Students. Oh, we need this. And yes. so we're, this is what we're going to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. 
And I got to make sure I have the time right. With over 11 years in education, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like you've been doing this forever. <laughs> it feels that way. Uh, someone, if someone asked me how long you've been doing diversity, equity, inclusion work, I, I arguably I could say all my life, just being who I am and my identity. And especially, I would say over the last six years since I've been living in Idaho, I've really been more focused with this work. Yeah. Uh, just from my own experiences living here and, and experiences with my my own kids and students that I work with. Well, we're going to talk about those too. Everything, because I mean, when I learned some of the things and we talked before, I, mm-hmm. I was just, wait a minute, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So I know you served as a teacher, a principal and director of special education. And you're also a professor and we're going to talk about that. Um, but the main thing, is you have a passion for helping educators accomplish equitable practices in their schools. Mm-hmm. And that's big right now. Yeah. So welcome, Sheldon. Thank you again. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. Oh, it's an honor for me. It's just so nice to connect and have these talks. It's just wonderful. So I always start everyone else with just kind of an overview of your why, not your background, just your why you are you. Why are you doing this? I stumbled upon it. It, w- it wasn't a goal. It wasn't a mission. It, it wasn't like that in the beginning. It was just, I like I said earlier, you know, I moved to Idaho about six years ago. And uh, this is just a different place than what I'm used to. I'm originally from Houston, Texas. And I'm used to seeing a lot of things very open, very blatant. And when I moved to the Northwest, there's a lot of undercover, a lot of stuff that I was experiencing, but I didn't really know what it was. I didn't have a lot of terminology. You know, nowadays I can say, oh yeah, I can identify, oh, that's that's a microaggression or that's implicit bias. I can identify those things now, but six years ago, I didn't know what stuff was. I was just like, this is wrong. I feel like I'm being mistreated, but I don't know what it is. And so I wanted to figure out, well, what's happening? And not only is what's happening, but how do I address it? And if there's a way that I can help other people, such as students or other teachers or community members, things like that, there's a way that I can share what I'm learning with others, then let's do that. Hence the podcast starts. And I started four years ago, been podcasting, and uh, I have had an opportunity to learn so much. I don't believe that I have learned everything. I don't think that you have arrived or I, like people say, Sheldon, you're an equity expert, but I, I don't think I am. I, I feel like I, I I just try to stay a chapter ahead. I, I, there's things that I will never experience. I will never know what it's like to feel certain things such as maybe gender issues or LGBTQ plus community issues or indigenous challenges and things like that. I will never know what it's personally like mm-hmm. to, to feel these type of things. But if I can try to provide a empathetic lens and approach to seeing things from someone else's perspective, to me, that will really open up a lot more dialogue and help me be a better educator, better professional, better person, human being, and, and just have a better, broad awareness of what's happening and how I can support and be there to, you know, help amplify any voices if I can. Oh my gosh. I love that because I'm, (laughs) I started my podcast five years ago and exactly just by Mm -hmm. the way, today, five years ago. Wow. Yeah. So, but I've always tried to feel 
uh, talk about empathy, learn mm-hmm. about equity. As a white woman, uh, older woman, there's so many biases and othering going on right now. And I don't know how to do it from my perspective. And what I like about what you're doing with the podcast and the and and some of the other resources that you have, you've opened the door to show us some ways we can delve into other people's experiences and understand the deep bias. And you talked about microaggressions. I mean, I even had some this week. I didn't even, and it's only Tuesday, right? And, and I had no idea that there were just those little microaggressions that are going on. You don't know how to say or what to say. Yeah. And the thing about it is, you know, when I first started the show, if you look at some of my early topics, a lot of the early conversations I've had, it was a lot of background information. Okay, what is asset-based pedagogy? What is cultural responsiveness? What does this mean? What does that mean? So there's a lot of um, terminology on my early episodes. But what happened was people started reaching out and said, okay, Sheldon, I, I get it. Yeah, okay, so that's what a microaggression is. But how do I address it? Yeah. How, what, what? I don't want to mess up my professional uh, relationship with my colleague, or maybe it's my supervisor, or maybe it's a, a parent that I want to have a conversation with, but I don't know how to approach it. And then I started to learn like various areas of the United States, for example, like in the Midwest, there's a certain culture, it's niceness, there's uh, certain areas in the East, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of how culturally how we communicate with each other. And so not only did people want to learn like maybe talking points and, and how to address things and, and what's the best approach to, to call someone out or, or to bring awareness to certain things that I'm witnessing or to maybe uh, speak on someone else's behalf. What are some strategies to do so? But it's also culturally, mm-hmm. where, depending on the demographics that I'm in, the community that I'm serving, what are some of the best approaches? So <laughs> over time, over time, I've started to develop more talking points and language for people who are whether you're a very beginner and you're like, you're new to this work to someone that's more seasoned that maybe in the past has been very uh, uh, vocal with their approach, but they seem like they're hitting walls. And like every time I walk, come around, people start to go the other direction because they feel like I have an agenda. Oh, here comes Sheldon. He always has something to say. We can't speak like this in front of Sheldon. Like how do I approach these type of situations? And so a lot of my later, Episodes are more on the talk, like the how, as opposed to the why and the what, which were a lot of my earlier conversations. See, I'm doing more of the why. I'll bring you in with the how. I mean, I was doing the how. I, mm-hmm. and, and when I first started EdTech, I was teaching how to do this and how to do that. But when I taught how to use the technology, everyone goes, why do I have to use it? Why? And so that's, that was one of my big things is the why. But it's interesting when you said about the cultural differences around the country, because I've been speaking around the country and in other countries also. It's amazing that if you don't know the culture and you come in and you give the same presentation, you're going to get different results. I mean, I'll give you one. I was in um, the Midwest in an area where everyone's really nice. Mm -hmm. And I asked people to talk to each other and they kind of, First, they didn't make any noises or say anything or clap or anything. And I thought, I must be really 
awful. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not getting any reaction. And when I finished, they all clapped and everything. And I talked to the director and he said, no, no, this is the way we are. We just listen first. This is how we work. And if I had known that before, it would have helped me. And I'm sure that's what you're noticing when you, because you do a lot of speaking uh, all around. And I, I, you know, I just can imagine some places you go and you go, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting that you say that. And I would even add into who's in the audience as well, because so, mm-hmm. for example, I've noticed, which makes sense, I, I would believe, you know, if I'm working with a group and the principal is there or the superintendent is present the amount of engagement that you will get with your teachers, your counselors, you know, the staff that are there is not the same if that person is not present. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. it makes sense that people are more comfortable when their boss isn't around to, to open up and share and have some dialogue as opposed to, oh, the boss is here. We need to kind of cater our language a certain way. And we may not be ourselves because there's that pressure of, Am I going to make my supervisor Mm. upset? Am I going to, if I talk about my classroom or talk about the school's culture, is that going to implicitly translate to that boss, that principal, that school administrator, that they're not doing their job. They're not doing a good, you know, changes. And this falls on you because you're the, you're the leader of the, of the school building or the, of the school district. So Mm. I, I like to have conversations without a supervisor present. It to me makes better, like it just better engagement. Same thing when I work with students, you know, I, I do a lot of student affinity group work and Ooh, the same thing good. when you have a system principal there, or you have your principal present and you have students there and you're asking students, students, tell me about your experiences at school during the day, or what are your thoughts on, do you feel welcomed or do you feel a sense of belonging? And I'm asking these questions in front of the print in the principal's present or, or someone uh, of authority is present. So we do ask to have uh, an adult present, but we ask, hey, you probably don't want to have your administrator present in these sessions because, again, their students or your staff may not be as vocal or open to having these yeah. conversations. Even if you give the whole, hey, everyone, just want you to know this is a safe space and, you know, you feel free. I won't be offended. Even if you give that that language prior to a training doesn't necessarily mean that folks are just, go, oh, OK, that means we get a green light. We can open up or we can share whatever we want to share. Well, you know, I've done a lot of coaching and I, it's very difficult when you're working in a group where there's dissension or some kind. I, I've sat in staff rooms when I hear um, problem language. Mm-hmm. And th- different things. And just trying to figure out ways that you can open these conversations. Uh, and, and that's why I'm looking forward to your book. <laughs> because I'm asked to come in and, and work with where there are conflicts. And there's a lot of things on conflict resolution, but not around equity as mm-hmm. much. And not around bias. Um, I've worked in some schools this is a long time ago, where some of the teachers were so um, biased around certain kids. Mm-hmm. You know that anyway. But it, but it was really difficult for me because I didn't understand how to approach it. 
And the one thing I had to do with this one teacher is go to the principal and said, I'm really scared for this kid in the class. And so it's like, how do you do this without causing someone to get fired or someone to get hurt? It's so when we, we're going to talk more about some of these things in, uh, when we get into your book, but you're bringing up things that this is the reason I got into the work I'm going in is I wanted to learn how to do this right. You know, sometimes it, it, we can't sleep at night. I, I've, I've been in situations where I missed an opportunity. For example, I, I overheard a teacher saying something to a group of kids. And at first of all, I was like, I can't believe a grown person is saying this stuff to yeah. a group of kids. Yeah. One. Right. And I'm in a, in a moment I'm listening to it because I, I had a teacher who was across the hall, but had a really loud voice, very booming voice. So you can like his door is always open. My door was open. I could hear everything he's saying to the students. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, wow, this this is what should I do? Should I go in there across the hall right now? Should I shut it, you know, try to shut it down right then and there? Should I wait? And I remember there's there's been times where, you know, I didn't do anything right then and there and, and I couldn't sleep at night. And, and I'm just tossing and turning, thinking about, man, I missed an opportunity. I should have said something because who's ultimately yeah. impacted is the kids, right? Yeah. It's the kids yeah. that are getting these messages and that are being talked to the way that they're being talked to. And so there's been times where I've went to this principal the next day or had a conversation with that individual uh, the next day. I didn't do it in the moment. Sometimes I wish, you know, maybe I should have stopped it right then. Sometimes it just it, it catches us off guard at the end of the day. We're not ready for it. We're just yeah. chilling, you know, doing our own thing. And then boom. But you can't believe it. it. Yeah. I mean, and it's just shocking. Well, the thing is, is you go into the profession to be there for all kids, but you're really not. That's what's mm. scary for me. And I, that's why, you know, I told you before, I live in Oakland and I work in the Oakland schools and um, I, I just saw some beautiful reactions and ta uh, discussions and I, I was really honored to be there. But then I also saw some other things that there weren't very many people of color teaching. You know, mm -hmm. it, it it's like we're we're all kind of in this because this is this is what the community and the cultures are like right now. And so I just I want I was going to ask you all these questions, but I love our discussion right now. This is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you know, bottom line is probably the biggest question that I get from when people reach out is they want talking points. Yeah. What do I, here's a scenario. What should I have said or what should I have done? Mm -hmm. And and I, I have, you know, I have a lot of tips in the book and I think my favorite strategy in these types of situations is to share your own story first. Yes. And so for example, if I overheard an individual uh, speaking to a student and maybe saying something like, you know, Hey, this is America. You should speak English. You know, I, I can't understand you when you're speaking Spanish, for example. So it, it, I need you to speak English only. And, and this is for your best. You know, this is for you. And let's say I heard that. And as a teacher, I'm like, you know what? I don't think that we're really celebrating a child who has the ability to speak multiple languages just because we can't understand what they're saying. This might be their home language. This might be what they're most comfortable with speaking. The thing about it is when we have students that English is not their first language. And so a, a child may speak Spanish first and English second, and then they have a uh, an accent. 
And so they get made fun of a lot of times or, or people can't understand them or they had to repeat mm. themselves constantly. So it's just more comfortable for them to speak in Spanish. And so when we try to take that away from our kids, that that's not fair. So when I have someone that says, hey, this is the scenario, this happened to me, what should I have said? I always say, well, is there a story that you can share with this individual that reminds you of the situation that you witness. So I could say something like, you know what? When I first started uh, teaching in, uh, English five years ago, uh, I had a situation where I had some students that were speaking another language. And honestly, I didn't know what they were saying. They were laughing and giggling. And I wanted to have some more control in my classroom. And so I asked the students, hey, can you say that in, in English? Because I want to share this moment with you, but I don't understand what you said. Right. So I could share a story first and then say, hey, this kind of reminded me of what I heard yesterday. I heard you talking to a student. And I heard you saying the same thing or something similar. And so now you can engage in a conversation where you've opened up with your own vulnerability, showed a little bit of humility. You're not accusing. You're not because uh, people get defensive mm. and they feel like you're coming at them and calling them out. No, I shared a story with you first. Hey, this happened to me. Kind of remind me of the situation that I saw. Can we talk about it? And now that opens up that dialogue and opens up an opportunity for you to engage in a conversation with this individual, which again, we're going to say best intentions, didn't think anything of it or what they're saying. They just couldn't understand what the child was saying. And they thought that that was the best approach. But now you have an opportunity to explain, mm -hmm. here's a different perspective that you may not have considered had you, you know, and, and let's talk about it. I think that way, Barbara, is probably my favorite approach. I mean, there's all kind of different approaches that you can take, but that one to me is my favorite, just sharing a story first and then opening up that conversation. You must have read my book. <laughs> <laughs> my whole book is about sharing your stories. First. Yeah. But that, that you actually have a whole chapter in your book on modeling vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'm really excited about reading about that because, I mean, I'm reading all the Brene Browns and everything else about vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It's very hard for teachers who were taught to be the all-knowing experts and be in control of the classroom. And then when someone is out of the behavior is not right or they don't understand something, they might just try to take control. And it's it's an, a whole different, it's maybe what they've been doing. Yeah. And so, but the idea of telling their own story of even when they might have been put in a position of being, um, I don't want to say harassed or, but something didn't work for them. It would have been nice if someone could have modeled it. It's, it's just, it's, it's a whole new type of training they never had. As teachers, we're used to being the adults. We're used mm -hmm. to being in control. We're used to, and our students look up to us. And we don't want to let them down. And so mm -hmm. sometimes we we put up this persona of who we are, but our students don't really ever get to know who we really are outside of lesson planning and, and assessments and, and curriculum and instruction. So in my in that chapter, yeah, I talk about, you know, sharing your own like I, I was dealing with a, a divorce. It was not easy at, at all, but yet I was still showing up to school every day. Mm. And honestly, I had some some rough days and the kids could tell, hey, you know, Sheldon, Dr. Aiken, something's wrong. Are you OK? Can we talk? 
Now, sometimes we would just brush it off. And, you know, I don't want to burden my students. I don't want to put this on them. But these same students are the same ones that would come to me on a daily basis and share about their life and share about what they have going on at home. And I would be there for them. And now they're asking for an opportunity to be there for me because you know what? You've been there so many times mm-hmm. for me and I've shared so much with you. I kind of want to know what's going on with you, if there's anything I can do to help. So I started opening up more. I started, wow. you know, I, I wouldn't give all the details, you know, they, they don't need to know. All Did the you cry? Yeah. I didn't share, share, <laughs> shed the tears, oh. but it, it was, it was situations where I was like, listen, I, I'm not doing okay. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent right now. Um, mm-hmm. Can we, can we take it a little easy in, in class? Is there some things that I can help? I do, can we just chat? You know, I just need to vent for a little bit and just share. Uh, and I think that that's OK. And the kids can tell that you're you're a human being and and you're not a robot. You're not there just pushing curriculum and instruction, but you're actually taking the time to share. This is this is what I have going on in my life. Uh, and this is what's impacting me as far as instruction and as far as my presence. I'm here, but I'm not necessarily at 100 percent. Well, it's it's amazing. I mean, this is some people think, Barbara, you tell too much of your personal life. And I said, well, you know what? I can relate to people if they if they understand I've been through it and and we can connect and those connections really matter. And I always tell everyone relationships first before we start yeah. going into content and curriculum anyway. That's the problem. We we tend to say we got to get to rigor. We got to talk about the content. We got to get it through. Well, when I taught. I met, I was in social studies. I never got to ancient civilization. I got to only a few because <laughs> I was playing and, you know, creating historical, you know, like we were kind of going back in history. I We just had fun around history, which we mm-hmm. don't normally have, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think this idea of vulnerability is scary. And people are afraid to even open up and let them know they're having problems. I'm just going to say with COVID, with everything everyone went to, the trauma is still there. And if we can't let the kids share how they're doing, how are you doing today? After all of this, they were isolated and they're still having problems. So I love that you have this as a whole chapter and I can't wait to read it. We, we give our kids, you know, journal prompts and, and we ask them to share about who they are. And mm-hmm. sometimes we ask them personal questions uh, about what they got going on at home. And, and but why don't we do that the same way? You know what? If I ask you, Barbara, all these personal, deep, intimate questions about mm-hmm. who Barbara is, and then I never share anything about myself and you don't know anything personal about me, seems very one sided. Yeah. And and when you're talking about trying to create relationships and I agree with you, it, it boils down to the importance of relationships. How can I have a strong relationship with someone when it's very one sided? That's in fact, that's why I do my podcast this way. That's why you and I talked first mm-hmm. and we opened up and talked. I mean, I learned a lot more about you than you probably wanted to share, but I, I thought it was really wonderful, uh, you know, because what happens is. There's a deep story. All of us have these stories, but there's always a deeper story that you're you're holding it inside and you haven't told it. Mm-hmm. And when you do tell it, it's almost like it's release. It's like ah, someone's really listening. And that's yeah. that's how teaching could be. Really, you know, we're all there and everyone can be a teacher. I learned so much from the kids. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's so much music I've been, I've been introduced to that I would never listen to on my own, but <laughs> students, students will, you know, you got to listen to corn. You got to listen to this hard, heavy metal. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Put it on. What's your favorite song? I mean, tell me. And then like some of the students, I mean, they know the band members, they know, you know, I know. The, bass player, the drummer. And I'm like, oh, okay. And they'll, they'll know this is the third drummer for this band. Uh, <laughs> and the reason why, like, I like to learn. I, I'm a history teacher too. And I like to learn about that kind of stuff because, mm-hmm. you know, if this is what my students are into, I want to know what, you know, it may not be my first choice. It may not be something that I, I would have listened to on my own, but if this is what lights you up, and if we can spend five to 10 minutes talking about it and then get into our, mm-hmm. our you know, instructional practice, that's totally fine with me. I I appreciate you opening up and sharing. And I'll share some of my favorite artists, my bands and stuff that I listen to, you know, it's vice versa. But I think it cannot be a one-sided relationship where we ask our kids mm-hmm. to share all their deepest, darkest secrets with us and then we're not doing the same. Well, my favorite band is Metallica, just to share. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a very strange lady. I love dancing and whatever mm-hmm. my, my grandchild thinks I'm kind of like out there, but it's cool. <laughs> it's really cool. And we can be there for the kids and they're teaching me things. And you also have a chapter on getting to know your students. Well, in getting to know them, it's not just about music. It's about their culture. It's about their, what are the things they love? What about the food? Mm-hmm. What about yeah. yeah. Where do you go after school? What are you doing? I, I'll give you one story real quick. Uh, there was a research project about following some 10th graders for a year with some researchers. And, and they came across this one kid no one knew. And this kid was a concert pianist, but no one knew it because no one ever talked to him. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned about like, OK, so I, I worked on a reservation. And, oh wow! You know, so you see, you see the kids one way and come into your classroom, things like that. But then I went started going to powwows, and I see those same kids dressed up. I see them dancing. I see them fellowshipping with wow. other tribal members, and I see, I see every like outside of the classroom, outside and just in their own space, in their own element. And some of the quietest kids that I would never thought. Mm-hmm. are just dancing and and just and winning competitions and and it's just like whoa I had no idea this is this is you but had I not spent any of those times it just if I just limited my engagement to just classroom or hallway school experiences not taking the time to visit mm-hmm. and attend that uh these maybe a sundance festival or a powwow or whatever I was invited to and and just being able to just see and then talking to my students, hey, tell me about your your uh, outfit that you had on while you were dancing. And there's mm. yeah, my grandmother beaded this, and and then we found the eagle feathers, and, and like just telling me the whole story yeah. behind how they put their um, attire together, and 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 then they tell me about the. So then I learned about there's different dances for powwows. There's like dance there i'm sorry there's like chicken there's traditional there's fancy there's like and and they all have their different categories and things that the judges will look for i would never have known or learned any of that stuff had i I not taken the time i love that i i mean i've heard a lot about because i've done some work in hawaii and i've learned Mm -hmm. in many of the uh with, with the hawaiian natives some of the things that 
they tried to bring into all the schools now. But I also went and have done work in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is how they've embraced the Maori culture everywhere. So when I went there, I had to learn how to introduce myself in Maori. Yeah. <laughs> I had to learn, that, like, they want me to come back and talk about the Adaranga. I go, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so I'm, and then every child's learning Maori in the mm -hmm. whole country. Let's just, I mean, we're, we're so unique because we have individual states, we have multiple cultures, we have, wouldn't it be great if we could learn more about all the cultures? It's just so cool. The original cultures. The original you know, indigenous cultures, yes. It's, it's funny because I remember I was talking to someone in the community and I was, I was telling, yeah, I work at the school out on the reservation. And they were like, oh, what kind of classes they offer? And I was talking about the curriculum that, that's offered and that's available. And then they asked me, you know, is, is Shoshone, uh, which is one of the tribes, is that one of the foreign languages that, that's being taught at the school? And I said, foreign language? How is Shoshone a foreign language? English is a foreign language. I mean, these folks have been speaking their, their language way before the, the frontier folks came out here uh, and, and took land. Uh, so it's not a foreign language. So if it's anything, yeah, English is, is taught as a foreign language, but the, the original <laughs> dialect that's used is, is also being taught as well. So I, I think. Really? Think I of, didn't even know they were doing that. That's really yeah, cool. It, and unfortunately, it's it's not mm. spoken. So there's actually two tribes mm -hmm. and, and they both have their own languages, traditions, cultures. Uh, over time, you know, the two tribes being on one reservation have mixed, but they have their their own uniqueness. And, and mm. so what happens is when, when we don't, when we're not talking about it and we think about like, I mean, this, this, this area has dealt with the American Indian boarding schools. And so a lot of the language, a lot of the practices have been lost. So the elders are the ones that typically know the language. And so they're just trying to keep that going yeah. throughout generations. Cause the, over time, those things get lost. And if we're not careful, that language would be lost. Well, it has, it's happened that in some other countries they're trying to bring it back, like in Australia mm -hmm. and some of the, but I do know that a lot of the elders is the elder women that run the run everything. Cause I've worked on a few reservations or tried to, they were just, I just blown away. I just, yeah. the women just amaze me, <laughs> the <Yeah>. elders <laughs> and what they're doing with education and how they try to bring in the environment and some of the things they're doing. So you're, I just love, oh gosh, I could talk to you all day. I gotta be, um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you talked about, um, you know, we, you talked, I, we haven't really talked about your book, but we're talking about your book because you have all these things in your book. And one of the things you talk about is promoting a decolonial atmosphere. We've been colonized. Mm -hmm. And I know I've, I have friends in the UK, they're talking about decolon, you know, trying to decolonize the curriculum and everything. We're, we're going back to, <laughs> it's kind of messed up right now in a lot of places, but it's, it's almost like, how do you decolonial, you know, the atmosphere and the curriculum and all of that when, and, and I'm getting a little political, but the idea of banning books and some of the other things that are going on, because I had to set up a private area to talk about these real issues in mm -hmm. some places. We're, we're on the internet right now, so I don't know how much we can say, but I just want to, I don't even know what to say to teachers right now. 
when we go back to the industrial revolution, you say you're your former social studies teacher. So, so I'm assuming you've had an opportunity to teach U.S. history and mm-hmm. talk about, you know, after civil, you know, before and post civil war. I know. And so when we think about reconstruction and industrial revolution, all that, and, and how our educational system wasn't set up, set up for everyone, wasn't set up for folks like you, wasn't set up for, for people like me as well. I, if you weren't a white man uh, from an elitist background, then those opportunities weren't there. Yeah. The thing about it is that structure has has continued on throughout like 2022. We're, we're still in this right now. Um, when COVID first hit, one of the things I was saying was like, okay, this is an opportunity for us to reevaluate how we do school, how we do assessments, why we do assessments and things like that. Everybody was trying to figure out what COVID teaching looks like. You know, are we hybrid now? What does the CDC say? <laughs> uh, six feet and all this stuff, right? We're, we're just trying to figure that out. But over time, I'd say over the last couple of years, we're at a place where we're kind of just pretty much doing what we've always been doing. Mm-hmm. Back to back to the normal, if you will, with COVID. Normal teaching with COVID, I guess that'd be the best way to describe it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of things that we do in our classrooms that I would say needs to change, okay? For example, <laughs> when we teach, we t- tend to teach what is, for example, if I'm a English language arts person, I teach the classics when it comes to writing and authorship and poems and different areas. So what's considered classical? Who determines what is considered classical? Mm -hmm. Because when I went to school, classical authors were your Shakespeare's, your, uh, you know, Edgar Allan Poe's and those type of, you know, the point is, More than likely it's white men, right? Mm -hmm. Classical, when you think Mm -hmm. about music, uh, Beethoven, Bach, you know, all those names, there's not a lot of representation. But to other cultures and communities, those aren't classics to us, Mm -hmm. right? But who determines what's mainstream, what's considered traditional, and those type of things. So when I say decolonizing the classroom, we're thinking about throwing out or removing or changing the the approach that we take where basically the content, the curriculum and instruction is from a European descent uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. How can we provide a multicultural perspective when we teach and not teaching as add-ons or contributions because that happens a lot. Oh, we'll do a special unit. We'll do a special lesson. (laughs) Oh, okay. Inventors of color. And just one day (laughs) we'll spend and we'll talk about those scientists of of color, medicine. Mm. And then we'll go back to teaching (laughs) everything else, European descent, every day after that. So you Mm. 180 days of instruction, you get two, five days. Of, of something from multiple perspectives. And I say, no, how do we embed that? How do we do this every day? How is this not just a tokenized Black History Month? Oh, we'll save all our Black content for Black History Month, which always civil rights and oppression and, uh, you know, always from a, a, a trying to get to the same status or level as everyone else. No, how do we approach this from day one all the way through, not just, Dr. King. Oh, it's January. Dr. King. 
Right? How do we go past have one month or one yeah. week or one, one day? Weekend. One weekend. Yeah, one weekend or something. Yeah. So how do we go past that? And and so that's part of the mm. decolonizing is providing multicultural perspectives, also looking at how we're grading and, mm-hmm. and the quote unquote traditional practices of grading and looking at standardized testing. And again, these culturally biased questions that are on these tests that we have to tr- prepare our kids for. These are just some simple things that we could start revisiting and, and looking at it so that we can provide a different perspective as opposed to the what's always been done perspective. I agree. It's just going to be, I mean, I'm just saying there are places it might be difficult. There's pushback. I, there's yeah. pushback, but I, I still, I want to be able to be there to help somehow. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also I know a lot of, uh, colleagues of ours are trying to do the same. There are also a group of kids in Texas who are reading all the banned books right yeah. now. Yeah. And, and there's some other, I mean, kids are amazing and there's some amazing librarians. Um, I have some good friends that are really trying to say, wait a minute, we need to open the world. The world is changing. We're all, it's getting smaller and yeah. everything's global and we're learning about things and we need to understand what's real and what's not that kind of thing. A lot of these books are, are forbidden fruit for a lot of your students. I mean, think about it from that mm-hmm. perspective where you'd, you're like, well, if you're being told, don't read this book, there's stuff in there that we don't want you to know about, you know, it goes against our morals. It goes against our beliefs. Yeah. The, the, the curiosity and an individual who's constantly being told, sometimes kids are just being told, don't read the book because I said so. So these type of like comments are, yeah, when you're not around, I think I will just open it up. What's the big deal about this book? No. What I really have appreciated is the amount of student empowerment and voice that I've started to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, and not just for racial uh, issues, but also for LGBTQ plus community. As well, a lot of our, our queer students are, are speaking up mm-hmm. um, about books and about language, about their experiences at school. I, and I think that's important. I've talked to several DEI liaisons, directors, you know, different positions in their schools or their district. And they say, man, I'm just hitting walls. As soon as I show up, they automatically, because because I'm associated with diversity, equity, inclusion, people automatically assume I have this agenda and they won't listen to me. I don't have any staff. I don't really mm. have any hiring or firing authority. I'm just feeling like a placeholder. What should I do, Sheldon? And I say, you better use those students. Are they going to fire the students? Because mm-hmm. they're expressing, hey, we have concerns that these books are being banned or we have these concerns that I'm not getting a well-rounded education. The perspectives and the things that I'm learning is very one-sided and I want to learn more. How is this preparing me for mm-hmm. life after high school when I'm only learning one side of the story? How is this helping mm-hmm. me when I need to <laughs> interact with people from all different ways, ways of life and backgrounds and experiences. This is my team that I'm working with as a, as a professional, yet I have absolutely no knowledge or understanding about any of the language cultures and experiences of the group that I'm working with. I'm just now coming across this, never, never learned any of this type of stuff in high school. Are we really setting up our students for success when we sh- 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 don't talk about it? Don't yeah. say anything. Let's let's just keep things the way that they've always been. Well, it's getting scary for these kids who mm-hmm. really I get worried because 
uh, suicide rates are up and there's some Mm. other things going on. And so I like how you, this whole book is about social justice and it's that basis for advocacy and advocacy is just like you were mentioning about these kids are getting Mm -hmm. more of a voice and they're reading the books anyway, and they're finding out information on their own. How do we do this? So we actually are there for them. That's Mm -hmm. where I know your book is going to help so many people because we are watching kids suffer and then struggling and that's wrong. Our kids are our future. We should be there for them. And if we can give them a voice or they are given the opportunity to share their own struggles and what they're doing to advocate for themselves and advocate for others, can you imagine the world? It would be just wonderful. Sorry, I'm on a soapbox a little no, bit. No, 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 right but then. you're you're right. And 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 here's the thing, and this is something I've learned because I, I heard you say it, and, and it's I was thinking the same thing before giving them voice, but our, our kids can speak already. They have a voice. It's just, how do we amplify those voices? Because the yes. kids, it's not like our students aren't telling us stuff. It's not like they're not saying anything. It's just, are we listening to them? Um, I don't think it's our job. And I, and I used to feel this way. I used to feel like, oh yeah, how can I lift my student's voice or give them that voice? But no, Mm-mm. how do I listen? to their voice and how do I amplify their voice uh, to me has kind of shifted my mindset. So even, and, and just, and maybe that came from starting to do work with student affinity groups. One of the things I learned was, yeah, I would do training with a group of students. I'm sorry, with a group of, of teachers and, and do a whole PD for a school, but doesn't necessarily mean it's going to change the experiences of the students. That's right. It's smart enough to know that, Oh, don't make fun of, my peer in front of my teacher. A lot of stuff happens when a teacher or an adult is not present. So even though I did a PD with your group, which helps out when you see something or when someone comes up to you and tells you this happens, but what mm. happens to the students when they're when you're not around, no one's around and they're trying to handle and deal with these situations on mm. their own. So working with students has been very helpful with listening to their voice and them telling us Listen, I feel like I was racially profiled down the hallway the other day. Uh, I was walking down the hall. People harassed me about my hall pass, but I just saw my other student friend and no one asked him any questions. They just were assumed that they were in the right place at the right time. But that doesn't necessarily happen to me. So when I hear these Mm. type of things, feedback from students and getting their perspective, teachers probably weren't aware of this. They probably didn't know. and so now. We can amplify that. We can say, oh, okay, thank you for sharing that information. How can we fix this? How can we make it so that your experience, for example, down the hallway, isn't so uh, a place where you like, I just needed to use a bathroom and I didn't want to get stopped four times just to go use the bathroom. Uh, How do we make sure that those type of experiences are, are different for you? So I think that has been very helpful for me to learn more again from what the students are saying, as opposed to just assuming or thinking I know exactly what students are experiencing. So it's basically we are there to listen, amplify their voice so they can advocate for themselves. Yeah. Yep. That's that idea. Yeah. We did it. <laughs> we solved it. I got it to the end. Yeah. I am. What I want is to be able to share all the resources. We're going to create a blog post that 
what's all, I mean, I can't, let me just say what you have real quick. Cause I just, I still don't understand how you sleep because you have so much. <laughs> you have your leading equity center. And so we're going to put a link to that. I want everyone to go check out all the things that you do there. It's a, amazing. You have free resources, getting started with educational equity. So people, if you, you know, just get download that. You have a playbook. Mm-hmm. That's, it's like, 20 diversity, equity, and and inclusion activities. You have to listen to the podcast. I can't believe you have how many? 240 or something like that. It's amazing. I think I just did 241 um, yesterday. I'm like, that's crazy. All right. So you have to listen to them. Just put them, you know, download it and listen to it when you're in your car, whatever, walking. You have a weekly live stream. Is that also the part of the podcast yeah, or is- yeah I, I took on <laughs> you're right I don't know how I sleep um <laughs> I don't get but this it is, this is all I do this is I, I don't I don't work at a school anymore it's not a side a side thing so yeah I so I can dedicate more time but we every Thursday we live stream the art of advocacy on YouTube power preparation power persuasion power persistence mm-hmm. okay so that's Thursday 6 30 eastern time right yeah. Okay. So I'm going to try to make sure I get there and see. Listen, you have a newsletter every Friday. I get it. I keep reading your newsletters going, all right, I can't get my darn newsletter out. How does he do that? <laughs> all right. And then you have your book. I'm going to say what it is again Leading Equity, Becoming an Advocate for All Students. Now it's available for pre order, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right now it's available for pre order. It should come to you. If you order it on Amazon, it'll get to your house around July 20. Wow. Well, definitely, definitely going to put a link to that and a big picture of it. And (laughs) how can people contact you? What is the best way? I'm on social. You can hit me on Twitter, Sheldon Akins. Akins is with an E-A-K-I-N-S. I'm also on Instagram, Sheldon Akins. Uh, Facebook, Leading Equity Center. And of course, the main hub is the website, leadingequitycenter.com. Wow. That was so cool. Thank you so much, Sheldon. This was just wonderful. Thanks for having me anytime. Oh, well, we'll do it again. (laughs) That was really fun. Have a wonderful day. Thank Thank you you so much. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning podcast and my conversation with Dr. Sheldon Akins. Make sure you check out the blog post on barbarabray.net that goes with this podcast because it includes Sheldon's journey to leading equity, along with amazing resources, including a link to his new book and so much more. Please subscribe to my podcast. It would be so awesome if you wrote a review. You can also subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net to receive updates, more inspirational podcasts, and a link to resources, stories, my books, and more. Thanks again for listening. Keep sharing your story and please stay safe and be well.